I still remember back in fourth grade, it was the first time that I had learned about angels and demons in Sunday school class. And during that lesson, my teacher was three things. She was quick, she was uncomfortable, and she was very, very serious. And during that lesson, I remember her audibly saying, let's get through this so we can get through the, get to the game as quickly as we can. And to us kids, we were like, great, that's awesome. Stop reading, get to the game, that, that's great. But I remember her demeanor when we were talking about angels and demons in the supernatural world as a whole. I remember her not feeling great, not feeling confident to talk about the subject. And unfortunately, that is kind of the truth for many of us, that when it comes to angels and demons in the supernatural world, it's not exactly something we want to talk about. It's not exactly something we want to dwell on. There's not a whole lot of encouragement on the service if you don't look into it too much. And so it becomes something that is a little bit more difficult to teach about, to think about, and to study. And the reason I can say that is for me, for years, I was that way. After that lesson in fourth grade, I just decided this is something that I don't want to mess with. This is something I don't want to study. This is something I don't want to read about. This is something that overall I just, I I don't want to hear about. I don't want to look into any further. Well, it turns out I went to Bible college and there's a lot of that in the Bible. So I had to learn a bit more about it. And I took a class where my, my teacher talked a lot about the supernatural world. And he told us time and time again, he said, you're fooling yourself if you don't believe in angels, demons, and other spiritual things. He said, you're fooling yourself. He said, if you don't believe these are real, if you don't believe these are in our world, if you don't believe there are temptation from them, then you are just absolutely shutting your mind to whatever thought is about that, whether it's out of fear, whether it's out of ignorance, whatever it might be. He said, you are absolutely fooling yourself. And I remember when he told us that, I I had to think to myself, I need to look more into this. I need to be willing to study this. I need to be willing to actually go in deeper to this whole situation. So today we're not going to exactly get super, super deep. We are going to get into more demons than we do angels. We are going to talk about the supernatural world. But what I want to offer you today is not a message that simply is demons are real, but a message today that demons are in our world but so is Christ. And Christ is here for us and for his creation so that we don't be overcome by those demons. Let's look at what scripture says. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. If you notice, scripture doesn't use the word demons very often. So sometimes we have to kind of think about what scripture is saying. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Another verse, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Again, not so much just the word demons, but obvious, the supernatural. Finally, 
Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with, us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And so what we see here is there, there are plenty of examples. Satan and demon, they have powers. They have powers. They are in our world and they have powers. But their powers are nothing compared to the power of Christ. That is Christ who holds the ultimate power. It is God sending Christ to our world. He is the one with the ultimate power that demons can never overcome him. So the, the, these demons' powers is, are, is nothing compared to God's power. But even then, we are living out this war, this spiritual warfare that is going on around us. Whether we see it, whether we recognize it or not, there is spiritual warfare going on around us. But we can always rest in the fact that victory is assured. That as this war goes on, we know how it turns out. That as this war happens, we know that it's already been won. That there isn't a fear of what might come because we already know what Christ has done on the cross. Because like I said, the, the, Satan and the demons, they have power, but it is nothing compared to the power that Christ has. And so we have to think to ourselves, well, where did this all begin? How did this all start? What happened to really, to really enforce all of this going on? And we have to go back all the way to Genesis chapter 3. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, we are presented with the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve, they are created, and the serpent comes along. And this Garden of Eden place, it's, it, it's a little unique if you've never thought about it before. This Garden of Eden place, it's almost like this realm in between heaven and earth. Because yes, there are animals and, and there, are, there is creation like there is on earth, but there is also God walking with Adam and Eve. This is also a spiritual place where spiritual beings are able to be. And so we have this cross between a little bit. And that's kind of a controversial thought to some people, but it, it makes sense when you think about God walking with the people, being there with Adam and Eve, and there's also creation and creator. And so what we realize is that the serpent who is there is a spiritual being who is cast out by God. Because we see this snake who is, who is trying to get Adam and Eve to fall, who is trying to get them to sin because he himself wants them to reject God. Just to show you a little bit uh, of, of what I mean here, let's go to Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 and a little bit of two. In the year that King Uzziah died, this is a vision given to Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train, this also means him, of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. That word seraphim there is key because that word seraphim in Hebrew, I know all of you do your Hebrew study every night, so you all know this, right? But this word seraphim in Hebrew, Hebrew means snake. And so this serpent, this snake that we're seeing in the Garden of Eden is very most likely also a spiritual being who was at some point cast out 
of heaven. We know this from many, many accounts in the Bible that lead to this possibility. Revelation chapter 12 talks a lot about this. We also see other areas, numerous other areas where you you see highlights of this happening, right? But it comes comes back to this, is that spiritual beings are real and there is a spiritual realm which they work from. They are not necessarily slithering on the ground like a snake that, we, that, that Adam and Eve saw, but there is a spiritual realm where they are working from, kind of behind the scenes, right? Remember those DVDs back in the day when you had behind the scenes features? All right, anybody younger than me doesn't know what I'm talking about. They're like, YouTube? Is that what you mean? Uh, but, but no, there's, there's like the, the behind the scenes that we don't see where these demons are working and they are trying to bring us further away from God. Another example of this is Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, we see the Tower of Babel, where God came down to have, or sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Genesis chapter 6, where, where it says that sons of God came down into this world, and they were here, and they were having relations with women, and they were trying to, to do what they could to conquer the world, because they failed to conquer heaven. They were trying to come down and conquer the world. And that's that sons of God word there that that we can derive from supernatural beings coming down. And so, like I said, this stuff is all over scripture. We see it throughout. Maybe it is not always the most exact that you have to do a little bit more digging, but it is in there time and time again. And then from those sons of God coming down, we had the Tower of Babel where men got together to try to create a name for themselves that is higher than God. Look at this in Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. People said, the people who were building the Tower of Babel, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be despaired over the face of the whole earth. Trying to make a name for themselves, trying to create something for themselves. But as we all know, God destroys the tower. God sends them out different languages. Here's what it says in a few later verses. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there, go down there confuse their languages so that they may not understand one another's speech. Dispersing, confusing, working against what the humans were trying to do of creating a name for themselves. And later on in scripture, we can see where Moses was talking about this situation in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 17, because he uses the word demon. And like I said, it's not exactly used all the time. The word demon is actually only used twice in the Old Testament. So we don't see it very often. And this word demon, it just means lesser being, a lesser spiritual being, one with less power, one with less control, one with less that it can do. But here's what Moses says. They sacrificed two demons that were no no gods to gods that had never been known, who had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your father had never dreaded. Trying to create new gods, trying to create new worship. Because at the end of the day, 
demons don't care about any certain thing you worship. They don't care about any certain sin you do. They don't care about any of that. The goal of a demon is to drag God's creation down into darkness, down into death, and down into chaos. Whatever a demon can do to try to drag you away from what God has intended for his creation is what they will try to do. So when the Bible is referring to love and worship for this world, it's talking about when demons or other spiritual beings are trying to drag you away from what God created you to do. And not just you, but God's creation as a whole, trying to drag what God has created blessings that he's given, the world that he has given us away from what God intended it would be. Demons don't care if you do anything as long as you don't go to God. That is the number one thing. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father. It is from the world. Again, anything but God trying to drag you away from that. And it's interesting to think about some of these three things that were mentioned, right? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the desire, the, the pride of life. Demons are trying to distort God's creation into something other than what he intended, right? They are trying to distort what God has created into something else. So the desires of the flesh distort God's gifts of food, sex, affection, shelter by taking them to an extreme form of gluttony and selfishness, doing anything they can to say these blessings that God has given you, that God has bestowed upon you, that God wants you to use to worship him, anything he can do to distort those into a way that works against God. Because they will, he, he will use lies and they will use manipulation, but also a little bit of truth to help you get there. Look at Romans chapter 13, verses 12 through 13. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. All of these things are ways that demons are trying to get you to use what God has blessed you with against him. They are trying to get what the, the good things that God has given you, the love that he's given you, the people in your life that he's given you away from him. One thing that the elders and the ministers here at the church have talked about uh, a number of times in the past year or two is how connected we feel like our church is, how our ministers get along, how our elders get along, and how we work so well together and how we really feel like we are being faithful to God and that God will bless us. But it is so easy for Satan to come in and create a little bit of conflict, 
to create a little bit of distrust. And that's something that we have to battle, not just our leadership here at the church, but in our families and our friendships in so many different ways. We have to battle some of that conflict that we can have enter into our lives to break us apart. Sex, the, 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 go back to that last one. Go back to that last one. The, the, the immoral living, quarreling, jealousy, all of those things, trying to disconnect the relationships that God has put us in so that we are no longer connected. I use our, our, our church leadership as, as an example, but you can see how, how the demons try to bring that about in every area of our lives, in every relationship of our lives, trying to get us to fight and go against one another because God created us to be together. God created us to love each other. God created us to be in relationship with each other. The desires, the desires of the eyes. God distorts his, or the, the demons distort God's gifts of, control, of comfort and abundance by no longer wanting to work for them and instead using evil practices to obtain them, right? So we have comfort. We have abundance. God has blessed us with so much that when we work for things, he tells us to enjoy them. It's all throughout scripture. When we work for something, God tells us to enjoy what we have. Work hard, get what you have earned, and and enjoy it. Obviously, also share and be giving and be gracious toward other people. But he tells us that when you have worked for something, be willing and be ready to enjoy those things as well. But when we are not willing to work, when we are not willing to do what needs to be done to obtain, when we are not willing to put in the effort to have what we have, we begin by being unrighteous to obtain those things. We begin being upset with other people having jealousy. We begin trying to obtain anything, whether it be through stealing, whether it be through fighting, whether it be through dishonesty, whatever it might be, we try to gather up those things. James chapter 4, verse 2, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. When we do not have and we want to to have something, instead of going to God, instead of working hard, instead of seeing what God has given us that we can work with, we can distort that by working against what God intended, work, togetherness, to try and obtain what we want. And that is the work of demons trying to persuade us into that. The third thing was the pride of life. The pride of life distorts God's gift of life as a whole by pursuing our desires over God's desires. By pursuing what we think is best for ourselves and not looking at what God tells us we should do, not looking at what God's will is in our lives and say, God, I know you're saying this. I know this is the direction you want me to go, but I see it better this way. God, I know that, that, that this is something you want me to do. I know that it makes more sense for you, but it makes more sense for me to go this way. Constantly working in our lives to try and distort God's gift of our lives by working against him. First John chapter 2, verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. 
when we follow our desires, when we follow what we have for our lives, what we see as important in our lives, our lives are passing away. But when we, but when we follow the will of God, we abide forever, eternal life. Because that's what our lives were created for, for God. And demons are trying to distort your life, trying to distort our lives into something it was not created to do. You see, your enemy is not God's creation. It's only trying to distort God's creation. It's trying to turn what God has given us, turn what God has blessed us with into something that it was never intended to be. And that creation you are a part of is, as well, which means the enemy will try to drag you down into darkness and chaos and death. Because just like how the enemy tries to distort the gifts you've been given uh, of your blessings, he is also trying to distort the life you have been given. Look at these verses in Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through 25. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. More about the world, serving the world. I love, if you're reading the Rooted book, you've, you've probably read this, and I hope that you uh, uh, underlined it or highlighted it or something, because I, I love what the Rooted book had to say when it said, we live in a state of being saved, but also or, or, or a state of saved, but also being saved. We live in a state of saved and also being saved. What that essentially means is just because you have the Holy Spirit, just because you've made the decision to follow Christ, that doesn't mean that every temptation is gone. That doesn't mean that you will never have desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, the pride of what you will never, that doesn't mean that you will never have those again. But what it does mean is that you are saved and you are no longer caught under the law of those things. Think about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were literally walking with God in the garden, and they still had to endure temptation. Maybe that was the only time they were tempted when the serpent came to them. Maybe they were tempted more times. We have no idea. We're only given the one time. But they still had temptation even when they were walking with God, even when they were with him. And so even though we have the Holy Spirit, our advocate, our helper, we are still going to encounter temptation. But the good news of that is that not only are we saved, but we're being saved as well because we are making that decision to follow Christ each and every day. And so it comes down to that life isn't just about saying no to sin. Life isn't just about saying, oh, I'm not going to do that sin in my life, life is actually more about saying yes to following Jesus than it is about no to saying sin. That's why we call ourselves, that's why we call ourselves Jesus followers and not sin rejectors. 
Because when we are following Jesus, we are doing what he created us and intended intended for us to do. Look at this in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. It doesn't say for all of those who say no to sin. It doesn't say for all of those who have a perfect record. It doesn't say for all of those who did a good job of saying no to sin. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And here's the good news. By saying yes to God, we are in turn saying no to sin. And so it's less about focusing on saying no to sin in your life and more about focusing on being who God intended and created you to be. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify to the desires of the flesh. Right? We've talked about this, what demons are trying to get us to do, to sin, to take us away from God. But if we walk by the Spirit, if we are living the way God intended us to live, if we are following what He has given us to do, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Like I said before, Satan, demons' goals are not to get you to do certain sins, their goals are just to drag you away from God, because they know that you were intended to be with God. You were intended to live your life for God. You were intended to be loved by God and love him in return. But when we make the decision to not follow him, we are making the decision to not live as he intended us to live. When I was in high school, entering my, uh, my senior year, I decided I was going to play fall baseball. I loved baseball growing up. Baseball was my sport. I played it all when I was a child, all the way through high school, my my favorite sport. And I remember that when I signed up for this fall ball team, I had a conversation with my dad because the the fall ball team played at 10 o'clock on Sundays. Well, My fall baseball team was about half hour, 45 minutes one way from my house, and my church was about half hour, 45 minutes the other way from my house. So I really had no ability to be able to even go to the early service and then get dressed in the car and and, and run to the game. I really had no option or ability to do that. And so when I was playing fall ball that year, I told myself, well, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to be at church every Wednesday night. I am going to be there as as often as I can on Sunday nights. I'm going to do all of these things. So that way I'll, I'll be good. It won't take me away that much. And what I began to realize more and more as I was playing baseball and not there on Sunday mornings is that I felt further and further away from God. And so even though Baseball wasn't necessarily a sin. For me, it felt like it was dragging me away from God. And at first, I didn't even want to realize it. I didn't even want to recognize it. I didn't even want to think about it. So one Wednesday night, I was talking to my youth minister, Rusty, and I was telling him, you know, I just, I, I don't feel like I'm very close to God right now. I feel like I'm disconnected from him. I feel like I'm disconnected from the church. And, and he was just asking me questions, saying, what, what do you feel like is doing that? What do you think is, is doing that? I said, well, sometimes at night I miss my prayer. Sometimes in the morning I, I, I don't, I, maybe I don't read as many verses as I normally do, you know, trying to come up with different things. And Rusty just looked at me 
in the eye and he said, do you think it's baseball? And I didn't want to recognize it. I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to make that connection. But in reality, in the back of my mind, I knew for me that was taking me away from God. That was taking me away from his community. That was taking me away from worshiping him consistently on Sunday morning. So I'm not up here bashing baseball. Please don't hear that. I I love baseball. I think baseball is a great sport. And I think that you can learn a lot from playing baseball. But what I am telling you is that every single one of us has something in our lives that is tempting. Maybe it's not necessarily a sin. Maybe it's not necessarily something that, that we read in Scripture and that maybe we feel wretched about. Maybe we don't always feel bad telling people about it because, like I said, it's not necessarily a bad thing by itself. But I can almost guarantee that every single one of us have something in this room that is pulling us away from God, something that is taking us away from him, whether it be a lot or whether it be a little, there is something that is taking us away from him. And I would encourage you to recognize that temptation doesn't just come in the form of sin, but temptation also comes in the form of just outright taking you away from God. So as we encounter temptation, we must respond by, instead of just saying no, by actually drawing closer to God. Drawing close to God is, is more than just your morning prayer. Drawing closer to God is more than just your morning devotional. It's surrendering to God to the freedom of what he offers in our lives. It is surrendering every decision I make. It is surrendering every thought that I have. It is surrendering everything that I do in my life to pursue God over everything else. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. A couple years ago, I, I, I preached a message and I told all of you, maybe some of you weren't here for this, but about when I was in camp teams. And my phrase kind of that entire summer was, no matter what, Jesus. And I find myself this week as I was preparing for this sermon, encountering some more temptations than maybe I typically encounter because I believe that there was work against me because they did not want this message to be preached, I found myself saying, no matter what, Jesus. That in my life, it's not about, oh, I shouldn't do this, or no, I shouldn't do that. It's about what am I doing in my life to set my heart upon Jesus. In every single area of my life, set your heart upon Jesus. That is how we continually don't just say no to sin, but also follow Christ in everything that we do. This world is full of pain. This world is full of hate. It's full of suffering. It's full of death. It's full of so many terrible things that we can see the captivity that Satan and demons have upon it. But when we set our eyes upon Jesus, when we see him over all else, we realize just how captive this world is, but how we don't ourselves have to be in that captivity. John 16 verse 33 says, I have said these things to you, this is Jesus talking, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I 
have overcome the world. That this world has nothing on you because the battle has already been won. This world, demons, Satan has nothing on God because God is more powerful. That Christ has already been sent. That Christ has already died. That Christ has already rose again so that you can have salvation with him. And when we realize that, and we really think about that, there is no other proper response than surrender to God. That you accept Jesus Christ and focus your life on him. Not just focus, don't sin, but focus your entire life on him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've given us, all that you've done for us. And Lord, I pray that as we remember you, as we think more about you, and as we see you in our lives, that our lives would be less about, am I sinning? And our lives would be more about, am I following you? Lord, I pray that each and every one of us in here would be willing and we would be humble enough to say, that there are areas in our lives that drag us away from you, whether they're sin, whether they're not sin. But Lord, we would combat that by setting our hearts on you, accepting you, and focusing our lives on Jesus Christ. Lord, the battle has already been won. We don't have to worry about the war that wages on because we know that you are with us. We know that you offer salvation. And we know that our lives are in your hands. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have a decision to make today, feel free to come forward. Uh, you can stand up. Would you all stand with me, please? We're going to sing another song of worship. And if you've got a decision to make today, now's the time. Let's go before God and celebrate him for what he's done.